Readers Entertainment Radio presents Book Lights with your host, author Lisa Kessler. Book Lights, where we're shining a light on good books. Hello, everyone. It's Monday, and if you are counting down to Halloween like I am, three days to go till trick-or-treat. I can't wait. Um, <laughs> but following the month-long of, of spooky um, books and authors, we're finishing off. This is our last show before Halloween, and best for last, right? We've got New York Times bestseller Douglas Clegg with us today. He came on last year, and we had such a good time talking. I was like, oh, I wish I lived closer. But anyway, I was very excited he agreed to come back. If you haven't read Doug Clegg yet, now is a perfect time to jump in because he's got a couple new releases coming up really soon that we're going to talk about. And if you haven't read him, I'll read his bio really quick so you can get to know him. Douglas Clegg is the New York Times best-selling and award-winning author of dark fiction, including horror, gothic, fantasy, supernatural, and suspense thrillers. His books have been published worldwide and translated into various editions, and his short fiction has won the Bram Stoker Award, the International Horror Guild Award, and the Shocker Award, and has also been included in Year's Best Anthologies. I did put a link to join his newsletter and also his BookBub and Twitter and Facebook. And so if you're listening live on Blog Talk, you can click on any of those anytime and get all connected so you don't miss these new books that are coming out. So without further ado, Doug, are you there? I'm here. Thank you for that great introduction. Yay! <laughs> You're nice. welcome. So I'm nice so glad talk. you came it's back. It's so nice to talk to you again. I wish you lived closer too. Right. And by the we way, could go we have put, coffee. We, we could. And by the way, we've been doing so much to our property, like really putting in extensive gardens over the years, and really this past year more so, that we'll probably never move. We're gonna, I'm going to be buried in this yard. <laughs> it's, it's been so much I work. Forget. Where, it's been so much work. Where are you? We're uh, we're in Connecticut, right near the coast. Up by more oh, like okay. up by Rhode Island rather than we're not as close to Manhattan. We're more up by Rhode Island. Um, okay. For tourists, for tourists, we're not far from the main casinos. <laughs> That's often people visit mm-hmm. just feel like, can we go to the can we go to the casino? It's like, okay, we'll go to the we'll go to the Mohegan Sun or Foxwoods, and <laughs> you can spend your money on things. And there we go. That's why you're here. Um, <laughs> yeah, but I, but. I, we like it up here. It took us several years to really get used to it. We were, you know, both of us were, we were living in California. We'd met in Los Angeles and we'd been living out there for years. We came back here when my parents were sick because in their retirement, they moved several times for fun and they ended up here on the Connecticut coast. So we came back because they were sick and then, and they died. But what we found was we just familiarly got used to this coast. And I, I was a little kid here once. So I have a lot of memories, good childhood memories from before the age of eight here. And so, mm-hmm. um, and now I just, now I feel like I'm more of a New Englander than I've ever been. Wow. So, and so like the it. snow and cold doesn't bother you? Oh, no, that bothers me. <laughs> Believe me. Believe me. <laughs> I, I, would, I, I, I still am aiming for the, I'd love to have this as the base most of the year and then two months in the winter get somewhere a little warmer. I haven't done that yet, but I feel like that's a good goal still to have because the winter, there I'm not we a go. winter person. And when- yeah, and when you do that, you can make San Diego be your spot, and then for two months, we can go have coffee. Unfortunately, to live in San Diego now, so when I lived in L.A., it was very cheap, actually. It was very, rents were so cheap in Hollywood and West Hollywood and, and the Valley, so cheap. It was crazy. It was cheaper than where I had grown up, which was the Washington, D.C. area, 
And so mm-hmm. I, so to, now the towns that are two hours out in the Inland Empire have, are million-dollar homes for little homes now. So I can't even imagine San Diego. Oh, moving new to San Diego is like <laughs> I need a few – a few bit more bestsellers under my belt before that happens. <laughs> right, yeah. <laughs> Maybe Netflix Unless, will yeah. make some movies and TV shows. and. <laughs> uh, I think they'd need to make a lot. And by the way, but if you have a carriage house or a pool house, listen, we can that can be our winter home. <laughs> there we go. <laughs> That's what I'll now aspire we, to. <laughs> I, I love San Diego. I miss San Diego a lot, too, because even in Los Angeles, we we would be often hopping in the car saying, Let's go to San Diego for the weekend, you know, because it is perfect. Right. It's the perfect environment, right? Beautiful. People are friendly and warm there. There's a lot of great restaurants. The weather's perfect. The water's perfect. It's, I can't even think of a better place to live, frankly. So you're lucky. I'm very, very lucky. Yeah. Um, we, I had uh, Christopher Rice on the show, and we actually got him down to do a signing with his mom down here in San Diego. Oh, and nice. he keeps telling me, nice. any excuse to bring me to San Diego, please. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, I just, I, I think that, well, I think maybe, maybe I should send a note to Chris and say, Chris, get, get a really nice place there. And then um, we'll take care of it in January and February <laughs> for you. There we go. <laughs> Yeah, you can you can be in his pool house for a couple months. We'll, right, we'll do the gardening. We'll do the garden. I'm good with gardening. I'm I'm into gardens at this point in life, so I'll, we'll take care of the plants. Um, there we go. I think you, I think you should do that. I think it's I think it's high time that young man does that. So um, right, yeah, I no, think I so that. too. I I I love San Diego. From my earliest years, my mother went to college out there. And from my earliest years, we were out there in that the wild animal park, which. Mm-hmm. It was amazing. I don't know if it's still there. Of course, the zoo, uh, Balboa yeah. Park, all the beauty of, all the varied beauty of, and and things to do in San Diego just make me jealous now that I'm sitting here in Connecticut thinking about it. So anyway, but off that topic, <laughs> but, back to the scary stuff for Halloween. <laughs> back to the scary stuff for Halloween. Can you tell everybody about Faces? It comes out in a, in a few weeks, right? Right. So it comes out uh, the first week, I believe, in December, December 6th. So The Faces is a novella. It's a very short novella. Um, I, I love the novella form for horror because I feel you can really focus the suspense and the creepiness factor in a story without the reader really losing the idea of like, oh, this is totally logical because it's it's a horror story. There's, there's something, it's not a thriller. It's not a suspense thriller where there's going to be justice at the end necessarily. It's a horror. We delve into this dark place, often with a supernatural or surrealistic edge. So I love the novella form, and this story really came from, I don't think I've ever written a story that on some level didn't come from my observation or experience in life. I twist it, I change it, I make it completely fantastic compared to anything I've experienced. But this comes from a very deep understanding of something that I have, in a, and many people have, a certain group of people in the U.S. probably have, and the world have, but a lot of people maybe don't have for a specific reason. And I can't tell more other than I hope people read it and I hope they get what they get from it. But essentially, The Faces is about a guy, a relatively young guy in his late 20s, and and a friend of his who is going to drag him to this Halloween party, but he needs to get a costume and a mask, and she drags him to secondhand stores, and suddenly he sees a mask and he recognizes it because it's based on something that when he was a child his father loved. And then from there it spins into a very sort of dark series of events of what that mask becomes for him. And so uh, although it it starts Halloween week, it doesn't really stay with Halloween. It goes on for at least a year, I think, in the story. But I think it's a very uh, strong 
dark, suspenseful, much more psychological horror suspense than uh, Supernatural, but with a very surreal edge to it. And I hope people love it. I loved writing it. I love it partly because by having a Patreon group now on Patreon, it's as if people are sitting there saying, Doug, when's the next story? And they're, they're sitting there saying that. They actually want that next story. And so it gets me excited to get out of bed. I have, some of these people have been fans for years. And so I know them by face or at least name or deed online or in social media. And I've had some interactions mm-hmm. with them over time. And so it's great to know there's a receptive audience waiting. So that one is obviously done in proofread and ready to go. It's actually up. It could be published tomorrow, but I've set December 6th as the date. And then I'm finishing up the next one called Mrs. Bluebeard, which is a gothic set on the New England coast, which oh. is going to come out in, in January for the non-Patreon members. Patreon members will get it next month. So I'm trying to basically get out novellas. And these are novellas novellas one after the other and in the process finish a novel I've worked on for years it's, it's an exciting time because I've had several years of just writing 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 not worrying about getting much up not I mean worried about it but not doing it not pushing myself to get it up and out because I wanted to develop something that I hadn't been doing for a while that's a long way towards saying answering your question and saying that but <laughs> so the, uh, the faces, the faces is sort of a mysterious uh, psychological suspense with an edge of horror kind of story. I hope people will pick it up. I'm I'm curious because I I do every year at Halloween I do my annual Halloween movie countdown and I wow. count down my and and I change up the list every year and some people come off like this year Rocky Horror Picture Show didn't make it and someone messaged me where is it and well I have to switch because there's so many great movies but. I uh, Fright Night, the original one, was up, and when when I post them, I get the movie trailer, and I went down the rabbit hole of YouTube and found this really cool, um, uh, I don't know, video podcast thing about Fright Night, and that the core story of it, the screenwriter said he he thought about the boy who cried wolf, and what if a vampire oh. moved next door to you and no one believed you because you loved horror movies, you oh. know, and it's such a great concept. And it and is. so then I started thinking about, you know, these original core stories that we all have with a moral and that kind of thing. And when you're talking about your thing with the mask, I think that strikes that, you know, that chord of – because part of Halloween, for me anyway, the thrill of it is that you put on something that you're not. And yes. and yes. you can be anything, so magic is real for one day, you know, kind of thing. And so this book sounds really intriguing because you put on something that you're not, and then maybe you start becoming that thing. That's a very good entryway into the faces, actually. Because I will say one other thing about the story is when he has the mask on, life gets better for him. And then he starts to notice that there oh. are some other people who always wear the same mask. He's never noticed them before until he has the mask on himself. So it goes from there. It's sort of a paranoid psychological suspense story. And um, I think, yeah, yeah. So you had a really, you had a really good notion from what, from the idea of the mask. Um, so I, I like hearing that from you because that actually is a, sort of a, a good lead in for this story, the faces. And I'll tell yeah. You where, you know, yeah. I mean, it, it came from one or two things, but one thing this story really was born into was not mask related, sort of. I would have these episodes at night where I'd fall, start to fall asleep like 
drifting into a dream, but I was aware enough to like, you know, if my leg itched, I'd scratch it while my eyes were closed and I was kind of falling asleep still. Or I could hear a noise and mm-hmm. say, oh, is that the dog moving? But I wouldn't get up. I'd still stay asleep. And I was drifting towards sleep. And then as if a dream would appear behind my closed eyes, I would start to see a street. And this happened more than once. And on the city street, people are crossing at the crosswalk. And I'm watching them as if I'm standing across from them, like in the street, watching them as they cross next in front of me. And one of them stops and turns. And as he turns or she turns, her face would start to twist into this grotesque thing and I would wake up like my eyes would go wait a second I don't want to dream that um and, and it was and it, I was gonna and say please way, tell me you woke up <laughs> it, it, well and I wasn't quite asleep either that was the bizarre part I wasn't really I was very aware that my eyes were closed and this these sort of images started coming and I was like oh good I'm going to sleep mm-hmm. other I'm thinking other thoughts but it would happen and the face as it became grotesque would always be the same grotesquery face it would be a sort of like a um, in the old movie of uh, Dorian Gray, the, the way the, the painting looked, this, this grotesquery of mm-hmm. a human face, no matter if it was a man, woman, or whatever. And so as a result, I would be like, what the heck is wrong with me that I'm having this thing more than one <laughs> night in a row? Um, and from that, I thought, okay, so what does that mean? And I, I really, with dreams, I started to say, what does this really mean imagery-wise to me? Where Where is this from? Where is this coming from? Why would my mind go here? Or is this just aging like what is this what is this that i'm seeing in this and the story really it it came out of that but it actually as i wrote it it became from a much deeper place that probably i became first aware of in my teens and so and it really is about what fates will mean can mean um so anyway Mm -hmm. so that's that and then mrs bluebeard oh i love it i can't wait to read it i'm blue i'm sorry blue mrs bluebeard came out of an idea of I, I listen. I'm horrible to have to say this because my mother had this wonderful side to her, and she had the side that mothers and fathers always have to kids, which is this other side I didn't completely understand. And so it's it's a guy a guy who is now older and whose mother has just died, but in fact he never felt she was his mother. And there's been a mystery she's been she protected his whole life that sort of ruined him in some way, and he wants to figure out what it is. So that's that story, and and he's the one who gave his mother the nickname Mrs. Bluebeard because he found her a very as a very scary person when he was a kid. Her mysteries okay. were a little too. Um, he was too. She was very cold and very distant from him, and very punishing in some ways. And so it's about him looking into who she really was, and that's the story, uh, the setup of the story. And from there, it goes into other areas. I think, um, but I really, I, I really do draw. I mean, every time I've written a horror novel or a story, even though it's not accurate, I don't kill people and I don't know, I haven't seen any monsters, but I think there's something about human stories and nature, human nature. And then when I experience something and try to process it, what it comes out of story. And when, it's funny, when you were talking about, when I told you about the faces and the idea of the Halloween mask and what that means, what the Halloween mask means, it reminded mm-hmm. me of whenever I do a story, I know it's going to work if I can find a genealogy for it. That if, I didn't just have this experience, but 300 years or 800 years ago, there is a fairy tale or there is a, a myth. Exactly. Or there's some, there's, right? And I can go, okay, now I know this is meaningful. I'm not just frivol- frivolously thinking this, that this has been a human problem for centuries. And I think mm-hmm. that's always important for me to to launch a story from that idea, even though the story seemed very personal to me or very made up for me and my crazy imagination. So right. I'm going on a bit about this. Sorry. Sorry. <laughs> that's okay. I get it. I get obsessed. I get obsessed, Lisa. 
my life is a my life is a storytelling is about constant obsessions. No, I I can totally relate. I I wrote an entire book once about um, that kicked off because I had given my husband and I were sharing an office and he was doing radio production for a morning show, so he would work overnight, and he loved the ocean. So I found a um, webcam link for one of the hotels down in Pacific Beach, and it faced the ocean, so you could just watch the ocean anytime. But one night I was up late writing, and it's like one in the morning, and I turned. Around and he's sipping iced tea, watching this webcam of the waves come in. I mean, it's like pitch black. You can just see the white caps. And I look at that, and the first thing that pops out of my mouth is, "What would you do if you turned that on in the middle of the night and someone was burying a body?" And he's like, "Oh!" He turns it off. And I couldn't let that idea go, and it became a whole book, and it was one of the fastest books I'd ever written, just because I needed to know, you know, but. Right? <laughs> he has never watched that webcam in the middle of the night ever again. Ruined. That's great. But, but, that's great, but, but that's a great launching point. And the fact that you saw that, right, something in life got some fear in your brain going, because that's what it is. It's, yeah. It's, uh, mm-hmm. you, think, you think the worst circumstance of what you might see, and if you're watching it, yes. what do you do? How do you react to it? Exactly. And I think for me, a a lot of that was being, being an only child, you know, so you sit around with your imagination and constantly, because my mom was single momming, I was alone a lot. And so every noise could be a potential killer. And I think that that's what drives, that's why paranormal is always an angle of my story, because somewhere in there, that six-year-old little kid is still in there going, well, it can't be a person, so it must be, you know. Whatever. Well, I don't think um, the six-year-old may have been right. So you know, it's not just could a, be. it's not just imagination. It's these are the possibilities of life. And if you look at it another way, that's a complex way for a child to think, which is it's not just things right in front of you. It's things that might be going on that you're not completely aware of, and they might be threats. And that's not necessarily True. a right. So it can happen, and perhaps you actually protected yourself better in life over time with that kind of thinking. Um, but what's interesting about your story, by the way, which is great, it reminded me of a friend who who is not a writer, but who once I visited his one time I, when I visited his place in Manhattan, he had one of those um, you know video surveillance things at the door, so he could see who was out front ringing, buzzing his buzzer, right? Mm-hmm. And I said, well, that's great because you don't have to worry about not. And he said, Doug, but that thing's on all the time, and I don't even like passing that door because what if I look out and some really weird thing is going on out there? And I was like, I never thought of that. And that's the same thing as what you're describing, yeah. So I mean, obviously that right. is not an ab- that that is that is a great story idea that you came up with on that. But it's a thing that people can relate to because that would be a a, yeah. a thing to worry about, yeah. Yeah, so that's right. Great, I'd rather not great know. Story. <laughs> no, that's a great story idea. Oh my gosh, that is a great yeah, setup. It- yeah, it was a good it was a good launching point, and man, I was addicted. I could, had to get back to the keyboard to figure out what was going to happen. But yeah, so your brain your brain does weird That's things, the, and sometimes they're great stories. It's funny though. You said you're an only child, so here's here's the funny part. Like I had three siblings, but it was like being an only child. <laughs> I had three siblings, well, there you the go. Youngest. See, I was the youngest by some years, and they, for the most part, uh, they, they, they paid no attention to me. My siblings were, I mean, I had one sibling who did, but my, my, my two oldest 
siblings who were only a few years old, four years older than I was, but they paid so little attention to me in the way that I was basically, I felt like I was the only child growing up. So I also was yeah. alone and doing my imaginings. I also think, you know, ultimately, I think I'm sort of a, a friendly but prickly person. And I think I, even though I felt I wasn't a friend and magnet as a child, I think I also liked being alone enough that that's why mm-hmm. sometimes I sit there saying, why don't I have more friends? And then I realized, well, I don't really like, other than a couple of friends, I don't really like going out and getting to know a lot of kids. Like inevitably, right. I don't like being around a lot of kids. So that's also mm-hmm. making yourself an only child to some extent. <laughs> that's what I did. Right. Right. Yeah. And and you learn to watch, you know, to watch people and, and that kind of, it all leads to being a good writer later in life. Yeah, yeah and that's intro and that's also introversion. It's a level of I think writers most writers I know are, are a combination of introvert everyone's a combination of introvert, extrovert. But certainly when you very young, I think they might have been, I don't know for sure, but I was definitely I was an introvert until it came to storytelling. So storytelling is the mm-hmm. one thing that got me to be extroverted. I was, if somebody wanted me to tell a ghost story when I was on my paper route when I was 12, I would put the papers down. Other people could wait for their papers, and I would sit there with the kids on the corner, and I'd tell them a ghost story. And I really had a great time doing that when I was about 12 and even when I was younger. Yeah. So to me, that was where I had connections with people, and I think that may be one of the reasons why for writers a lot be, continue to be storytellers because – that's their connection back into the world. It's a lonely occupation, but it's your connection back into the world. Mhm. Yeah, and it's so funny you say that because I am pretty sure that's the only reason I got invited to slumber parties as a kid because everybody knew I told the scariest stories. So oh, that's that a good. Be, that's that a good would be my hook. I don't know you very party. well, but yeah, it's a good slumber listen, party thing. Some, listen, some people might have snuck in the booze, and that's why they were invited. Some people told stories. Like it depends on you know your yeah. your your value to a group is what you do bring into the group. It's like a potluck. What you bring to that uh, supper of whatever that is. So you brought the stories. That's a great. I mean, I do think that's how writers have their connections. Um, my husband, who I've been with for thirty-one years, often says. One, you're not happy unless you're writing. So he knows constant writing is the only thing I need to be doing. And then the other thing he said, um, and it really is getting out with people when you have a story to tell. I don't like to get out if I don't have a story to tell. If I'm not on top of a story, Mm -hmm. I don't really love socializing. So that's very similar to what you described. I also would invite you to a slumber party because to have a storyteller at a slumber party telling ghost stories and things is amazing. They were lucky. Yes, because then everybody stays up all night. So... Yeah, and that's why you do it. <laughs> I mean, mm-hmm. come to think of it, I, I, now that I think of it through high school, I think that was the only value I had for the other kids for the most part. Was to scare them, Be- yeah. Well, or, yeah, tell them story Because I remember we had a thing called 50th Night Before Graduation, which back in the day, since I'm a, a bit older, um, in, and back in the day you could drink when you were 18, legally, beer what? and wine where I live. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And so – 50 nights before graduation, when most of the kids were 18, we go to this farm, and I don't know if they, I don't know if the school knew that we were all getting drunk, but I mean, we were basically drinking beer. And it's a night of partying for, um, and this, I went to an all boys school, so it was a night of partying for all the guys on this farm, and you're all going out being crazy on this huge farm that one guy's family owned, gorgeous farm. But we went out to the graveyard and we told ghost stories, and that really was a great moment. I, I really, I really loved that moment in high school. Um, listening yeah. to the the drunken guys off in the, the cemetery, and one guy kept going, "Oh my God!" As the story went on, it was great. 
I have to ask you, what creature haven't you written yet that you that you would love to? Like, have you done the alien story? Have you done, you know, have you done you know, I, a zombie? Well, I know I've you've done, done a zombie, but. I, have I done a zombie story? Maybe I haven't. I, don't I thought you did a I've zombie done, short story. I did. Really? I did. A, no, I did a poem, an epic poem, the saddest little zombie. Okay. Yes, I did. Okay. I did. I did the saddest little zombie, which is fun. It's about a sad See, zombie because it's Christmas. <laughs> yeah, I forgot about that. And and uh, actually, Glenn Chadbourne did these beautiful illustrations. Um, no, I and I've done vampires, um, and I've done. Oh, what's another creature? I have not done a mummy. Have you done a werewolf? Oh, no, I don't have an I don't have an affinity for werewolves. When I do, okay. I will write a story. I I, I kind of feel like I have to. I know this. Has, I'm a method actor with this, right? I have to come from inside something <laughs> to understand what what it means to me. So so with vampires, right. what, what it meant what it meant what vampires really meant to me was what did vampires mean to me? Hmm. Well, what they meant was if you have if you have <laughs> potential for eternal life, what are you going to do? How are you right. going to handle things? Um, and then the uh, the Saddest Little Zombie was really a fun, just a fun story. I don't really have a great affinity for zombies. I, sh- I want to, because I know people love reading zombie stories. Um, but and mummies, I would love to, because I have a huge affinity for the mummy. I have the the love of mummies in ways that are just bizarre. But werewolves, I have not come into them as such, and I like the idea of transforming into an animal. I certainly, as a kid, played that. Well, maybe game all it doesn't have to be a wolf. Right, right. But even so, I have to come up with, to it with some some specific perspective, and I haven't done that yet. So I've not done a werewolf, and I've you know not what? done a mummy yet. You you love gardening. You should write a were gopher. As clever as that sounds, Lisa, <laughs> it ain't gonna happen <laughs> because I Boy, first of all I can hear the crickets. I, I, <laughs> I respect gophers too much. But also, but I, but I have to admit, we saw, this shocked me, one morning I woke up and we were in suburban Connecticut. We're on the edge of a huge arboretum, so there's thousands of acres of trees just behind our little neighborhood. But I saw, what shocked me, two cougars walking over a little ridge on our property, not very far from the bedroom window. And at first it didn't register with me that it was odd because, you know, out in California when I live, I'd go out from LA right. out to Big Bear or whatever, I'd see cougars at times. But I, I'd never seen them here, and they're not they're officially Connecticut says they don't exist here, although people have seen them, wow. so they know they exist. And it was so beautiful that I thought I was Mowgli in the Jungle Book for a second. I thought, oh my gosh, this is the scene out of the jungle. This should not be in the suburban Connecticut neighborhood. So beautiful, and that's what I could see a wear cougar story. There. Or or a wear mountain. Well, mountain and that would be. That would be the explanation too, because they're not supposed to be in Connecticut, but there they are. You have a uh, couple of cougar are. shifters in your neighborhood. So it's Connecticut cat people, and I really like cougar. I think <laughs> they were so beautiful. I was like, they're so beautiful, and I'm like, and they're so maligned in some ways, um, in terms of they're beautiful, That's but true. people are terrified of them. And in general, you know, mm-hmm. there are out west, there are some cougar attacks. Usually around times, I think of dr- extreme drought or fires that have driven them out of places and or driven their game right. out of places. But here there really aren't any reported cougar attacks and they're just such beautiful creatures that I would love to be one. I mean, I looking at them, I'm like, that is one of the most beautiful animals I've ever seen. So yeah. much more beautiful than people. And you have, you have great alliteration with Connecticut cat people. <laughs> exactly. Although <laughs> I, 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 exactly. The, um, 
No, but anyway, but I have not done those things. And I, I tend not to do a lot of creatures. I mean, I've done ghosts. I've done mm-hmm. – trying to think what creatures I've done besides vampires and ghosts. And I probably will never do a vampire again because I don't have a lot of ideas for vampires. Um, I was writing about something – Well, and you wrote that big – Oh, that exhausting. Your it vampire thing was very big, yeah. Oh, that <laughs> years off my life, that thing. I mean, because I began that 20 years earlier. I didn't I didn't flesh it out enough 20 years. But I began that 20 years before I ever showed it to a publisher. Actually, I showed it to one publisher wow. who was interested back then. So, but I, And it developed and developed and developed. And so the when it finally came out, it was a relief for me because I'd gotten it off my desk, but also because it was a gargantuan task on my part, given my skills or limited skills as a writer, that, that it was beyond <laughs> a certain way of writing that I've done before. And I loved it. I loved every minute of it, except it was exhausting. And I think it took me three years to actually recover from the writing of that trilogy. Right. And you and feel you, like as you, you know, put the writer, everything about your vampire right. in it. Yeah. And by the way, and as you know, as a writer, the world never rewards a writer enough for what they put into their work. <laughs> the world oh, that is so I'm sure true. Some writers are. So true. But, right, you put a lot into this work, <laughs> and what happens is you go, no one really, really, really understand exactly what it took. Even when I've written a novel that may not be as up to snuff as it should be by a reader's standard, I'm like, you don't even know with that novel what it took to get that thing <laughs> built and and shape it my, into my, something. Shape it and. <laughs> And learn where my flaws are in it and what mistakes I inevitably make. And some can't be fixed and some can be. And, you know, what, what that goes into in, in creating a story, any kind of story, really, when they come effortlessly, which sometimes that happens, too. I, I'm just like, oh, this is the easiest job in the world. And that's like once every 12 years. Exactly. You know, life, I have one book that years. is super easy. And then I, the next book, I'm like, oh, my God, I don't know how to write anymore. <laughs> like, Really? Yeah, it, gets, totally it does get, get harder, it. and it does get harder. And I think with my first—I don't know if this is true with you or with other writers—but I know with my first novel, it was a lot of work. I had to learn how to write a novel and all this. But one thing I thought by the end of it was like, ah, well, now people will recognize my genius <laughs> because I knew what it took to to get there. Like I had to grow to do that, and then you realize, oh, no one ever does. No one ever like there's plenty of genius at that level out there. <laughs> it's not. It's. Not, it's it's, uh, I mean, honestly, sometimes I think the guy that does our electricity is much more of a genius than I am, actually. Certainly more right. more valued <laughs> for a good reason. Um, but anyway, sorry. That was it. That's okay. That's okay. I'm just super sad that we're running out of time. So before we go, oh, no. um, I want... I know, right? It goes by way too fast. Yeah. But um, I want everybody to go check out The Faces. It comes out in just a few weeks. And um, if you haven't been on Patreon yet, look up Douglas Clegg. It's Patreon. It's P-A-T-R-E-O-N dot com backslash Douglas Clegg. And Clegg is C-L-E-G-G. And then you can get his stories early. You could get The Faces before December 6th. So, Check right. it it's out. A pre-publication. <laughs> it's, it's a great group. So thank you so much. Thank you so much, Lisa. Yeah, thanks so much for coming on again. It was great to have you. Talk to you soon. Okay, take care. Bye. Thanks for joining us on Book Lights. Be sure to connect with us at www.readersentertainment.com for articles, blogs, videos, and podcasts that matter to readers.